The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So I've been at Faith for 28 years now. I've been able to call this uh, my church home for those 28 years, and it's been awesome. And like you, week after week, I uh, sit in these chairs, and I listen to our pastors do such a great job of unpacking the truths of Scripture for us. And um, I don't know how many of you do this, but a lot of times I leave here and I reflect on what I heard, and I think about how should that truth change my life, and how would my life look differently if I actually let it change my life. And our pastors really do a great job with uh, teaching us the scriptures. Yeah. But there's been a couple sermons I haven't liked, and that's what I want to talk about today. So let's talk about sermons I don't like or didn't like recently. Uh, For those of you who are Seinfeld fans, this is my Festivus. This is my moment where I air my grievances publicly in front of everyone. And um, I've been looking forward to this a lot. So just a few months ago, I was actually, um, RJ, do I have any pictures of RJ? Oh, there's RJ, young baby face Groomwald RJ. This is him about uh, 14 years ago being held by one of our high schoolers in the student ministry at that time. This is his send-off party when he was going to work at another church down the road from us. And RJ did a sermon a couple of months ago about uh, tension, and he used a rubber band to explain this point to us. And he said that um, much like a rubber band, um, if there's no tension on a rubber band, it's basically useless. And when God is doing something, us as followers of him will probably experience tension. I didn't like that service because it made me tense. Uh, And here's why. For any of you who know uh, anything about the Enneagram right now, that's an online or or a personality assessment tool you can take. It's quite quite awesome. I... uh, uh, first of all, it's so popular right now, it's like pumpkin spice everything during the fall. The Enneagram's kind of everywhere you're going. And I am a number eight on the Enneagram. And that means uh, eights tend to like control. I love control, okay? That is one of my favorite things. And so, and one of the things I think of as an eight is like, I don't live in tension, I just eliminate tension. And the way I do that usually is by telling you what you should do and if you choose not to listen, then I just leave, and I, and I get away from you, right? And because why, why would I want more tension in my life? And so RJ went on to explain that the early founders of the church, they had tension. Because the truth is, is that when you and I as believers in Jesus, that we try to figure out what it means to live for Jesus, there's, gonna, there's nothing more messy than a group of sinful people trying to follow God. And that truth helped me to understand that, first of all, not only do I need to be more patient in the tension, in other words, that I I should probably start to look at what God is trying to do and not just try to control it, but also chances are that I am probably part of the reason there is tension. Because, again, I'm a sinful person just trying to follow what God wants me to do. And then RJ kind of put this gem out there for us, and he said this. He said, eliminating the tension isn't the solution. Being faithful in the tension is. And so I was reminded that in that time, I get to ask God to say, God, what would you want me to learn right now? And not just control it. And that's why I didn't like that sermon. Um, 
The second sermon as of late that really ground my gears is from my good friend Joe Casiglia. Do I have any photos of Joe? Let's see. Oh. That is Joe, 1988. Uh, This is Joe's start and finish of his male modeling career. Um, He actually couldn't be a model because he's an ambi-turner. He couldn't turn left. But anyways, neither here nor there. Um, And Joe asked in a question, a a sermon, he asked a question that was so packed with power that if you think about it, it changes every situation you walk into. And he says, the question that you and I as a Christ follower get to ask is, what does love require of me? And he went on to explain that this is not a lightweight, feel-good kind of question. Because God took this question so seriously that when he thought about the state of our relationship between him and us, when he said, what does love require of me, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and I. And so that question has played in my mind so many times since that sermon. And here is the honesty that I want to share with you. I don't like the answers most of the time. And so what I decided to do, since I didn't like what the answers were producing, is I'm like, you know what, I'm going to change the rules of the game. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the question, what does love require of me with strangers? And you know what I found out with strangers? I really like to answer that question. So it would be some things like this. Maybe I could be more patient. Or how about I give that person the benefit of the doubt? In other words, when they're behaving in a way that doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to say, you know what, there might be something going on there. I'll even be so amazing that when someone cuts me off in traffic, I won't swear at them because what does love require of me, right? That was my answer. But what I started to realize is that when it came to the people closest to me, my friends and my family, I did not want to answer this question. Now, I want you to think about how twisted that is, okay? Me, the minister, professional Christian, right? That would be the title there. I would actually prefer to think about how to bring gospel to complete strangers than the people closest to me in my life, my friends and family. And so what I realize is in that moment that, first of all, this is why I need Jesus to die for me and I need to believe in him every day of my life. Because left to my own accord, it's going to get pretty ugly. The second thing that I realize is that when I ask this question, a couple of wonderful things can happen if I allow them to. First of all, I'm going to be able to grow in compassion. I will be able to look at that person with a different view, a different perspective, perspective of the cross. The second thing that's going to happen for me is that I'm going to need the power of the resurrected Christ to help me do whatever that answer is. Because I can't do it myself. And that's why I didn't like that sermon. (sighs) Finally, my friend Tony Bowes. Let's see what I got for Tony up here. Oh, That's Tony and I about 13 years ago in El Paso, Texas. Him and I were sharing my friend's car, which was a two-seater sports car. So Tony had to ride on my lap. It was awesome. And I don't know if you guys know this about Tony, but he really likes soccer. (laughs) Oh, you haven't heard, huh? Uh, Matter of fact, uh, Tony, uh, let me give a shout-out to the guys from Missouri Baptist University here this week and all the soccer players. Those are, the, those are the real Spartans, not to be confused with our little thing we have going here in Michigan, right? So welcome, welcome to Faith, guys. So glad you were here, probably against your own choice, but I'm still glad you're here. Um, and Tony likes soccer, and this is, 
there's nothing worse than working with someone who loves soccer. Because he comes up to me talking about players and games. And I go, man, it's not the NFL. I don't know what you're saying. One time I had Tony over for a game, uh, to watch an NFL game at my house. And he walked in and he goes, who's winning the match? So I'll move on. So last year, Tony, Tony put this picture up on the screens. This is what is called the bridge to nowhere. This is found in Honduras and what happened is the Chalutica River actually moved. Hurricane Mitch came and dumped a record amount of rainfall in four days. That water came out of the mountains of Honduras with so much force that it caused the river to move from underneath the bridge to there, leaving what's called the bridge to nowhere. And he explained to us that this is a metaphor for what's happening in the Western Christian culture as we're moving from being a Judeo-Christian society to a post-Christian culture. And so this kind of means this, that the main idea would be that people used to mainly meet Jesus by being born into a Christian family and raised in a Christian home. But that way of people learning about Jesus is shrinking. The river's moved. And now, one of the best ways for the gospel to be brought forward is for Christians to go out and create belonging. And if you're thinking about belonging, we've talked a lot about that here at Faith. There's a simple question you can ask yourself when you're thinking about belonging. It's, it's this. Can you take me as I am? And this is where I want to go for the rest of our time together today. I'm going to move forward under two assumptions. The first assumption is, and I know this isn't true for all of you, but I think it's true for most of you, is that first of all that you're a believer in Jesus. My second assumption is going to be that you would like everyone to be a believer in Jesus, to know the power of the forgiveness of their sins through the resurrected Christ. And so to kind of, if that's where you're at, I want us to start us in Romans 10, 14. So on your Bibles, if you, in the seat backs in front of you, it's page 1761. And we're going to go to Romans 10, 14 and 15. Just follow along as I read, please. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I learned this passage, I can't tell you how many years ago, and it's always stuck with me. To think about wherever my feet go, there's an opportunity for me to bring the good news. Eugene Peterson, in the paraphrase version, the message, this is how he wrote that section of scripture. But how can they call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That is why the scripture exclaims, A sight to take your breath away. Grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. You and I, where our feet go, we get to bring the good news of God. The idea that you and I, followers of Jesus, get to bring the good news to others is powerful and exciting. That you and I are going to be used by the Holy Spirit to help people hear about the God that they can trust, the God who will lead them, and the God who steps into their sin and save them from that sin. 
And I want you to think about this. The idea that someone as broken as myself by sin can go and tell another broken person about the hope that they have in Jesus is, is just wonderful. And to know that you and I don't have to have it all together to talk about the God who does have it all together, that's great news. And this brings me back to Tony's message a few months back. Since we're in this post-Christian time, meaning that the church is no longer the authority which culture will go to for direction, how can you and I bring the good news through creating belonging to a people who have not been brought the good news? I'm going to ask that you turn back to Romans chapter 1 in your Bible, page 1,747. We're going to look at verse 11 and 12 here in a minute. Now, the amazing thing about the book of Romans is that there's actually a book of Romans. Um, this is just 20 years after Jesus was crucified. There are so many Christian churches being established in Rome, the country whose leader executed Jesus, that the Apostle Paul felt the need to write a letter. So when Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Rome, which is obviously not an easy place for them to live out their faith, Paul is writing to the um, people who are mostly Gentiles who've been converted to Jesus. And after his greeting, he begins to talk about how much he's been wanting to visit them. In verse 8, he says something that's pretty awesome. He says that the expression of their faith is being talked about all over the world. Now, the interesting thing, and this is kind of a side note, the Christians in Rome didn't have a Bible. What they had were the most basic teachings of the apostles at the time, the things that you and I would find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So they had the eyewitness accounts of his miracles, the testimony of his death and resurrection, and Paul wrote them a letter. And that's pretty much all they had. So they knew Jesus had come. They placed their faith in him as their Savior. They knew he died on a Roman cross and that he rose from the dead. And yet with just that, these men and women who Paul was writing to had figured out a way to live out their faith, to bring together truth and daily life in such a way that other people noticed it and were inspired by it. And that's what sets up Romans 1.11. And this is what he says to us. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So Paul, who kind of became the leading evangelist of the day, says that when he sits down and talks with them, something's going to happen. He tells us that when we share our faith with each other, what God does through that will encourage both the person who is sharing and the person who is hearing. So when you and I gather with other believers and we begin to talk about what God is doing, both of, your face, both of our faiths are being strengthened. And at the same time, that gap that exists between daily life and the reality of Scripture gets closed. Because when you hear another person they begin to share about maybe the same issues that you're struggling with or facing the same problems you're facing. And you hear that they applied the truth of Scripture and, the, and that's helping them figure it out. That's like a light bulb going off for you and I. And we go, oh, yeah, that, that I can do. When someone is dealing with it, who has gotten through the issues that you've gotten through or is going through a similar battle to you, and you hear that they are choosing to take what the Bible says and apply it to their daily lives, you start to realize that this thing is living and active, and it can change what's going on right now. And sharing our faith is a great way to be encouraged. 
Now, if any of you here have ever joined a Tim Townsend Bible study on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, and Tim, I can't wait to show you this photo. Reached out to my friend in Missouri. Uh, this is 1990 Tim Townsend. Uh, the thing that's most frustrating about this photo is I believe Tim looks the same age now, and he's more fit. So that was a little frustrating. So whatever Greek yogurt you're eating, keep it up, buddy. All right. And one of the things that Tim will do to start his classes on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights is he just turns open the floor and says, does anyone want to share what God is doing? And people have an opportunity to share how they see God at work. So many times out of that class, I've heard people come up to me and they go, Dave, you won't believe what I learned in Tim's class. I go, well, Tim's a great teacher. What would you learn? They go, not Tim. No. They begin to talk about the encouragement that they hear in the room from the other believers and how it's impacting and seeing what God is doing. And while this section of Scripture of Romans 1.11 was written to believers, I believe the same truths can be applied as far as believers interacting with non-believers. Learning each other's stories will mutually encourage. And one of the best ways for belonging to be communicated is to invest in another person and learn who they are. To learn about passions and hobbies, past or present adventures, and maybe even some hurts and frustrations. And as you're learning who someone is, sometimes you actually get an insight into why they're struggling with their belief in Jesus or why they don't want to be part of an organized church body. Because here's the thing that we have to understand. First of all, all of us here, we really want to be, we want to be known. But we also really want to be known. Meaning that you eventually just don't know the projected image of myself that I'm allowing you to see. But you see some of my sin. You see some of my brokenness. And yet you still take me as I am. Because when that happens, it's hard for someone to ignore. Belonging is the front door that needs to be opened so the gospel of Jesus can be heard. And the reason belonging matters so much in our culture is because isolation is at an epidemic. You probably have heard this about this generation coming up. Never before has there been a generation so connected, yet so alone. And you might have heard some kind of form of that. If you're under 24, you've grown up with a cell phone in your hand. You have more likes, more streaks, more followers than most of us can get our brains around. But if you and I sat down and we had a real talk for more than 10 minutes and I talked to you about loneliness, you would probably say, yes, I feel alone most of the time, if not all the time. Isolation is such a problem that the UK has put together, a, they have commissioned a minister of loneliness. And, they, and this is what they say over there. Loneliness can kill. It's proven to be worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. See, we, we all know that isolation is becoming an epidemic, but I think what we can agree on is that belonging is the antidote to isolation. And one of the things that us as Christians can sometimes miss is the power of what God is doing as we're extending belonging. Because all throughout Scripture, God continually makes a promise to his people in a variety of different ways. Just like he says in Joshua when he says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. In other words, never will you be alone. And when you and I as followers of Jesus go and we help someone experience belonging, they're actually physically experiencing that promise of God. They're not alone. And one day, the door might open for the good news to be shared. So I want to give you a couple of practical ideas 
for you to think about the places that your feet have taken you. This could be teammates, your classmates, coworkers, friends, or people you work out with. What would be helpful for you as we kind of move forward here is to think about what comes naturally. Where have your feet taken you? Where are you already? And also, to, let me just get rid of some pressure for you. You don't need to force a meaningful conversation every time. So this would be something like your neighbor would come over and goes, hey, can I borrow your weed whacker? Mine died while I was cutting the grass. You're like, absolutely. By the way, I used to have this sin issue, which is much like the weeds on my heart. And Jesus came, put Roundup on them, and it's all good, right? Or you could really go for it and say, you know what, don't borrow my weed whacker. Take it as a free gift, much like the free gift of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Those things you can do if you want to ensure that your neighbor will never come over again, which you might want, okay? But what I want you to think about is just some of the places that you already are. So maybe you eat lunch alone every week at work, every day at work. Once or twice a week, maybe you find a coworker. You say, hey, you want to eat together. During that time, I challenge you not to say, so how's work going? That's like miserable. Can we all agree that talking about work while you're at work's like painful, right? I work at the church. I don't want to talk about it during then, right? I'm at work, right? I want you, so think about things you can ask about like vacations or different things that they did growing up, things that would help you get a window into who this person might actually be. If your family likes to host, maybe invite the new couple on the or the new family in the neighborhood over for dinner. When we do this at our house sometimes, when we have new friends come over, as we would call them, one of the things I might ask my daughters to do is think of the questions that they want to ask the people they get there. That makes things super dicey. You might want to let it happen one time. It's, a, it's quite fun, right? Maybe you go to the gym, and afterwards, don't just beeline right out after your workout, after your class. Consider sticking around and talking to someone about what they like about the class. How did they get into that? And after a few weeks, maybe you ask them to grab a Starbucks with you. Or you're the car show guy, and you go to the car show, you see the Corvette with the original underbody. You're like, what? Right? Like, how did that happen? And you talk about carburetors and flow rates and leather and all those things that car show people talk about. And you, maybe you walk up to the guy afterwards and you go, hey, would you like to grab lunch and we can talk cars? If it makes sense, an upcoming sermon series or class that we have here at Faith might speak to where a person's at. Please invite them. But if you invite them, Consider asking them to go out afterwards for lunch just so you can connect more. What I'm asking you to think about is what Isaiah wrote that Paul quotes. And think about where your feet are. And how can you bring good news to that place? I want to close with this. In case you haven't noticed, I'm a little bit of an extrovert. Okay, uh, just a wee bit here. And a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I went on a Detroit date day. We go down to the city of Detroit once a year. We have a wonderful date each time, kind of do it around our anniversary time. And we, um, we went to the Belt Alley in Detroit at the Skip Bar. Now, I said that to some of you so you'd think I'm cool, and I am. All right? Okay. And at the Skip, that's what we call it, they say one of the things they have is they have communal tables. Okay, and so when you're sitting down, you, you just sit with whoever's around. Now, my wife and I had been together for about three hours on that date, so we had nothing left to say to each other. <laughs> yeah, married people, you get it. <laughs> All right? And so we're sitting there, and there's a nice young couple sitting at the table next to us. 
So I look over and go, hey, mind if I ask you a couple questions? They go, sure. And so I decided, okay, I better be gentle and soft here. So turns out, um, I, so I start off with, what's the deal? You dating? How's that going? And they're like, uh, uh, uh. And the girl, she sheepishly, she goes, uh, yeah, we're dating. By the way, that was the first time I think she publicly said that. And that guy was stoked. Like he was like, he's like, she's publicly declared it, changing my relationship status. It's on, right? I helped a brother out. That's what I do. All right. And so then I listen to them, and they tell me about how they spent the week together in Detroit. She works in Detroit. He's from Chicago. He came to visit, and they spent the week together. I go, a week together? Wow, you guys want to get married? Because that's natural, right? Like, that's where you go in these conversations. Ah! I go, by the way, if you're thinking about marriage, do you know about the Enneagram? And they're like, yeah, we know a little bit about the Enneagram. I go, oh, you should take it. You should learn each other's numbers. It's going to help you in your communication, all this stuff. And then my wife does what she's done so many times before, and she does it so well. She apologizes for me <laughs> while telling me to stop all at the same time. And she's really quite good at that. And here's why I'm telling you that story is you're not like me because you're normal, right? You would never do that. That part, that part of my brain that makes people go, you know, makes me wonder, like, how would this feel? Is this awkward for them? That part of my brain never got wired, okay? And so with my wife and most other people, you're not going to do that, and that's a great thing. But the thing that I would ask for you to consider is where have your feet taken you? Where are you naturally? What are the relationships that are going on around you? Because where my feet go, I can bring the good news. And I can do that through creating belonging. You are where your feet have taken you. You are in the unique places. I can't walk where you walk, and you can't walk where I walk. You're there. And so maybe you've been thinking about this a little bit and you're starting to realize, hey, there's some people I would actually like to get to know more. On the back of your outline, I, I gave you a couple of questions that you can think about this week. Just something to help filter because we don't want to think about doing this for the world, right? That's big. We want to think about where we're at. And maybe those questions would help you funnel it down to some people that you could extend this idea of belonging to. And if you are feeling a prompting, I'm going to ask that you consider saying Yes. To what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because here's what you have to understand. First of all, it could be the start of your faith being mutually encouraged. It could be the start of a best friend that you didn't even know you needed. But even if it's not those things, it's going to be worth it. Because it's a good thing to learn about another person. So if you could please join me as we pray. Jesus, I pray that we would understand that you have given us feet to take the good news of gospel to this world. And that we get to do that through creating belonging. To be able to hear who another person is and take them as they are. And Jesus, as we're, think, as we're thinking about people that we would like to get to know about and learn who they are. I would ask that you would give us the patience and the courage to listen. And Jesus, we now prepare for communion, a time that all of us get to physically experience 
the promise that you have given us for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we confess our sins to you during this time, Jesus, that we would know in truth that you've forgiven us. Father, thank you that you did ask yourself that question of what does love require of me? Father, thank you that by answering that question, you gave to us the gift of your son. You gave to us the gift of the forgiveness of our sin. You gave to us the hope that comes in having a new relationship with you. And now, Father, you have asked each one of us who have received that gift to actually go out and to allow our feet to take us into the life of another person, maybe somebody that we know or somebody who we don't know. But you've asked us to to follow where your Holy Spirit's leading us and to simply talk and to share about what it is that you have done in our lives. Father, I pray that for us as a church, that we would continue to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus into the lives of every single person that we know, that your kingdom would continue to grow in this place and in each one of us personally, and that each of us, we would truly have the assurance that because of Jesus' death on the cross for us, that your sin and that my sin, it is truly forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen.